welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. Welcome to another episode of Franchise You. With me today, I have Greg Creed, and I couldn't be more excited about this podcast. Greg is the retired chief executive officer of Yum Brands, which is the largest franchisor globally with Pizza Hut, KFC, Taco Bell. And during your day, you had a couple of other brands, and now they have a Habit Burger Grill. So, Greg, you started your career at Yum in 1994. You were the chief marketing officer of all brands in Australia. Then a number of key executive roles at Yum before you became the president of Taco Bell in 2011. So uh, you took that brand to new heights, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But um, now you've retired in 2019 and you are so incredibly involved in so many things. Greg, we are so happy to have you. Thank you for being here. Kathy, it's my absolute pleasure to be here. And it's been too long since we saw each other. Yes. And um, I'm very excited to talk about franchising because... I really, really love franchising. And I think franchising is, it's the chance for Americans to make the American dream. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that's why I've always thought about franchising, which is everyone talks about the American dream, but the question is, how do you achieve it? And I think franchising is actually the best way for people to achieve the American dream. And, you know, so many have seen that and so many have talked about that. And we will definitely get to that in just a moment. I'm going to back you up because sure. you're- Career is so fascinating. So, so you started at Unilever, but then you moved yeah. to Yum, which are restaurants. Why restaurants? Well, it was by sheer luck. I mean, I was at Unilever for 17 years, uh, in mostly in marketing, and we lived in uh, Sydney, London, and New York. We wanted to come home from New York back to Sydney because the kids were, you know, ready to go to school and all this sort of stuff. And um, I couldn't get a job back there with Unilever because uh, I'd been running the Dove brand, which was pretty big and. Australia was small and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, um, I decided it was time to leave. So I, I joined PepsiCo and I assumed that PepsiCo would send me to work on Frito-Lay or, or Pepsi. Mm-hmm. And of course they didn't. They <laughs> said, hey, we want you to get it back to Australia and be the chief marketing officer in the beginning for KFC. Honestly, my attitude was, you know what? If I get home and it doesn't work out, I'll just find another job. And of course it did work out. And I spent 26 years at Yum!, working in uh, in fast food and, and loved every minute of it. Okay, I have to laugh. You said, of, of course, it did work out. Um, one might say that you rose to the very top and you really started um, making a huge, you made a huge mark everywhere you went. And I was fortunate enough to work closely with you for a, a short time at Yum when you were COO. But let's talk about Taco Bell. Led this company through some brilliant marketing and new product rollouts, like Think Outside the Bun and the ever popular, oh my gosh, Doritos Locos Tacos. Can you talk about those efforts and, and how you made that happen? I would argue it all comes back to culture, right? And I'm going to give David Novak a lot of credit because he created the culture that really Yum exhibited. And it was a culture where it was okay to fail. I, I think a lot of things in business, any, in any business, actually come down to the culture that you're living in. And I believe when I was running Taco Bell or when I was the chief marketing officer for Taco Bell, it didn't matter, that it was okay to make mistakes. Um, and so when it's okay to make mistakes, I think you try to hit home runs rather than just singles. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't do that because they're worried that if they swing for the fences and miss, they won't have a job. And David never created a culture. And so I appreciated that culture and I was able to leverage the fact that 
it was a culture that, in my mind, fueled results. I mean, it really did fuel results because it gave you the courage to try big, bodacious, bold ideas. Um, and, you know, if they didn't work, that was okay. And if they did work, you know, it was sort of hugely successful. And so I think the key was culture. I give David a lot of credit for that. And then I, what I tried to do internally within Taco Bell was giving you, you know, my boss was letting me be adventurous and creative and disruptive was to make sure that everyone who worked at Taco Bell felt that culture and felt the same, that they could equally be creative, disruptive, innovative, and all those sort of things. So I, I think it starts and ends with culture, which may sound a little strange, but I think, I think that's the reason we were so successful. Actually, I remember when you came to Yum, we used to focus on the strategy, then the structure, and then the culture. And you said, you know right. what, we're going to put culture before strategy and structure. You believe that and you brought smart and heart with courage. You added the yeah. courage line, which was awesome. I think, again, you know, it's interesting when you had, well, I had, I had such a great person to succeed you know, in David. So you're right. David had always said strategy, structure, culture. And I was like, right ingredients. I just think they're in a slightly different order. Yes. And uh, it was actually, as you know, when I was working with you as the chief operating officer is when smart heart and courage sort of came about because I used to get asked the question, well, you know, what are the characteristics of a great leader? And um, originally I had smart and heart. And then I realized, I think as, as time evolved that the consequence of smart and heart was actually courage. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's funny because as parents, you know, we care about our children's grades in school, which we, you would call the IQ part of smart, right? Right. But I sort of believe it's probably the least most important thing that defines success is how smart you are. And that things like emotional intelligence, cultural intelligence, you know, do you have a heart for people? Do you have a heart for the business? And then really, I think the thing that most distinguished leadership was not just smart and hard, but does, do people have courage? You know, and uh, there were some people that had a huge heart, were very smart, but they just didn't have the courage sometimes to make the decisions that needed to be made in order to, you know, grow the business. And, you know, Greg, you believed in that so much that you actually created a workshop with Smart Heart and Courage. And I had the privilege of teaching that a number of times. And um, it really makes sense. And you can use it in all facets of your life. So you've taught a lot of us a lot of things. But Let's move a little bit and talk about the franchise model because you yeah. kicked off with that as sure. well. So Yum yeah. is the largest global franchisor and you had a lot to do with that because in your role as CEO of Yum, you grew the number of restaurants to over 48,000 and the number of countries to 145. And yeah. you also, under your leadership, really changed the model from a substantial percentage of company-owned restaurants to a model with 98% of the restaurants franchised. Can you talk about why you chose that strategy? Yeah, sure. I think the answer is because, and I think it goes also back to David Novak, I think we are ultimately a great marketing company and less a great operating company. If you think about running restaurants, it's all about great operations. And it's funny because I always thought McDonald's were a great operating company. They weren't necessarily the greatest marketing company. So I thought our strength was like marketing, innovation, and it had always been our strength. I think continues to be our strength. And my feeling was, that it's best to put the actual running of the restaurants into the hands of people who live in that market, whether it's a country, a state, a, a town. You know, the example I always use was, look, you know, if someone has a bad experience in, we'll call it, uh, you know, I don't know, we'll pick a place, Van, it doesn't matter, we can pick anyone in the world, Vancouver, you know, in Canada. Yes. Well, 
I, I was living in Dallas. So do I really get upset, you know, that something happened in the Vancouver? I should, but, you know, you don't, right? They're just being honest. Yeah. Now, if you live in Vancouver, you're the franchisee in Vancouver, you're going to ASO soccer with your son and daughter on the weekend and someone says to you, I had a really bad experience in one of your restaurants. You take that incredibly personally, mm-hmm. right? I felt that the closer we had ownership of the restaurant to the marketplace, i.e. wherever the restaurant happened to be, the better the operations. And uh, so I just was a fundamental believer that our expertise was as a marketing and an innovation company. It wasn't as an operating company and that putting the restaurants in the hands of, of great franchisees who that was their expertise running great restaurants and building lots of great restaurants. That was just the best model then then sort of saying, well, yeah, we're a great operating company and we're a great, no, just be honest with what you are. As you know, we ultimately spun off the China business to be a much more focused business. That turned out to be incredibly successful. And you're right, I think today there's probably 55,000 restaurants and I think Yum still owns less than 1,000. So I think we've created a lot of wealth for a lot of great franchisees. And uh, I think that's something that we can all be proud of as well. I'm glad you brought that up because you and I both know so many people that started perhaps working in the kitchen or the front counter. Who have just done extraordinarily well throughout yep. their career as a franchisee. So, but my question to you is, how did you accomplish that? So you suddenly decide we are a marketing company versus an operating. All right, we want to be more franchise. What steps did you take to make that happen? One of the steps, obviously, is to bring the board along in the discussion. Because when you're the CEO, you know, you do realize, the, you know, the board represents the shareholders. True. And um, so it really just started with a discussion with the board and with my executive team. I had a great executive team. You know, David Gibbs, Tracy Skeens. I mean, just fantastic people. Scott Catlett, to name a few. And um, it was really all about getting alignment around this idea that we were better as a marketing innovation company than an operating company. And I think everyone deep down agreed with that. We just had never articulated it. We'd never been honest with ourselves. It also helps that we had great franchisees. Mm-hmm. And that we had over the years, as you said earlier, we, we had franchisees who started as cooks. Mm-hmm. Um, we have franchisees that started as delivery drivers. Right. And so, um, you know, I think what we had nurtured over time was we put a lot of time and effort into choosing the right franchisees. And this wasn't just, you know, you could turn up and get a franchise. I mean, there was a, obviously a lot involved. You know, we wanted franchisees that had capital, capability, commitment, and culture. Those were the four C's that we look for in a franchisee. So even when it came to a franchisee, we had this underlying requirement of the four C's in order for you to become a franchisee because there were people with capital that had no commitment. You know, there were people with capital and commitment that had no culture or had no capability or they heard, you know, their friends said, oh, I should go run a restaurant. My favorite line was it was easier to run a restaurant company than run a restaurant. I mean, running a restaurant is not easy. And so because we were able to choose franchisees that had those four C's, that helped us undertake the opportunity of selling restaurants to them. And it it made it much easier for us. I'll be honest, it de-risked Yum from a shareholder perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, If you think about it now, you know, we spun off China and uh, we had started to franchise Russia. Well, in, in hindsight, they look like really good ideas with just all the geopolitics Correct. that are going on. So it was just a decision that everyone bought into on the executive team, got the board to buy into it. And then we were very focused about going and executing it because we knew we had great franchisees to, you know, to sell these restaurants too. Yeah. And it also 
tends to be a positive financial gain for the franchisor in the long run, correct? Oh, yeah. Well, if you think about it, I mean, you know, there's 55,000 restaurants. Every restaurant that's been built in the last probably, I don't know, five or 10 years has been largely built with the money from a franchisee. I don't know what the return on capital invested at Yum is, but it's some stupidly high percentage because we don't have a lot of our capital invested. What we have is the marketing and food innovation expertise that drives the top line that wants franchisees to want to invest in these brands and build more restaurants. And I'm a huge believer in just being focused and do the things you do well and don't pretend you do some things well that you don't. Yeah, that is such good advice. And, you know, if you think about the whole franchising model, franchising allows a franchisor such as Yum to grow exponentially at a rate that you could never do alone. Oh, you could you could never grow that fast if you were an equity mm-hmm. company. There's no way. You, I don't know. I think last year they opened like 4,000 new restaurants around yes. the world. You could not do that if you were trying to do it yourself. It would be impossible. But the, the beauty of it is, to that point, you can grow as a franchisor, but then the franchisee can grow wealth ex- at, at the same time. Oh. So it really is a beautiful partnership. Oh, it is. I mean, I've got lots of franchisees who are still friends, and even though I'm retired, and um, I was talking to a couple of the other, you know, some of them started with one. I have, I have a franchisee, brothers, they're two brothers. They started with one Taco Bell. They now have 230 Taco Bells. Wow. What's even better? They've given 20% of the equity of their family company to the employees who are non-family. Oh, gosh. So that's when it fills your heart that you've chosen the right people because these guys could equally just have all the money, keep it in the family. Yeah. But part of their legacy is to give 20% of the value of the company, which is now worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and give that to the people that help them build the business that aren't family members. And I got to be honest, that fills my heart with absolute joy when you when I hear those sort of stories. And, you know, I've heard those as well. And it is interesting that it seems that those who share equity in their business with non-family members are able to build incredible wealth even faster. So it comes back yeah. over and over. And remember, David used to say, the more you give, the more you get back. And that's it's what true. It is, yeah, it's, true. It, it is true. And um, uh, and that's why I think, you know, choosing well, having the four C's as a standard of, you know, what we we're looking for. Yeah. And then having building great relationships, and uh, you know, a franchisee—it's like it's like happy wife, happy life, happy franchisee, happy life. And yes. I think that not enough people put time and effort into building and maintaining the franchisee relationship. And um, look, it's not to say it won't be without controversy, right? There, there, there will always be controversy, but it's it's the question about is there mutual respect? Uh, is everyone on the same page? Is everyone sort of seeing the big picture? You know, I often had franchisees would say to me, you know, you're only here for as long as you've got the job. I'm here for 20 years because I got a franchise agreement. And I'm like, well, I'm here to make sure we make decisions that last for 20 years, not for, you know, the time I'm here either. Right. So I think one of the things I was most proud of in my 20, whatever, six years at Yum was just the relationships I built with, you know, with franchisees. I've been to, weddings their children's weddings bar mitzvahs i've been to funerals unfortunately um and and i think that's the true sign of of a relationship and i think that um you know there are some companies right now you know which we don't have to mention that are having trouble with their franchisees and there's votes of no confidence and Mm -hmm. it always worries me what what went wrong in that relationship that it sort of got to that point and are people on the franchise or side investing enough time and effort 
into building those relationships. That brings me right into the line of questioning I wanted to ask you about, and it's about supporting franchisees and what's the best way to do that. And I'm so glad you talked about relationships because I talk about that ad nauseum to all of my students because right. it really is critical. And so if you're someone who works for a franchisor, what is the best thing? Like, what's the best advice you would give to them when it comes to working with franchisees? Yeah, well, I, I think as a franchisor, the best advice I would give is we get more, what is it, more from honey than vinegar, right? Yeah. And um, you have to build trust. Look, some people, you give you 100% trust in the beginning. Some give you zero. You got to build it. Right. And um, to me, it was a bit like an insurance policy. Building the relationship was like an insurance policy, which was you have to pay every year. You have to continue to invest in it. Maybe one day you make a withdrawal out of the insurance. Hopefully one day you don't, right? So it cannot be transactional. Uh, it has to be a relationship. And therefore, you've got to get out and you've got to visit restaurants. You can't, you can't sit in your head office. Mm-hmm. and develop a great franchise relationship. You've got to get out in those restaurants. And I spent a lot of my time out visiting franchisees in their restaurants. Equally, I took board members. You know, one thing I love about the onboard is the onboard also love meeting franchisees and, and going into the marketplace, which is also great. Um, I'll let you into a little secret. Just I've never told anyone this, but Ooh, here we go. I have never read a franchise agreement in my life. Are you kidding? I am. That is the honest, I swear. The honest oh truth. So in 26 years at Yarm working on all the brands, I never once opened or read, even when I ran Taco Bell, I never read the Taco Bell franchise agreement. Because my belief was if I had to pull that agreement out, we, I had not done my job to build a relationship that I shouldn't have had to pull the contract out. Oh, Greg, that is so profound because it definitely demonstrates that it is all about the relationship. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's not about what's written in the contract. Now, of course, everyone else had read franchise agreements and people would often say to me, oh, well, it says this and it says that, right? And I'm like, okay, but what are we going to do? It's not It's not about, you know, what's right or wrong. And the, another piece of advice, this is advice my dad gave me, which had nothing to do with franchising, but it works. He says, the only reason you have a dispute is when both people decide to have a dispute. Mm. If one party chooses not to have a dispute, it's not a dispute. And so I always tried to take the line of, you know, you may be angry, you may be yelling at me, you may be whatever you're doing as a franchisee, but my job is not to escalate it. My job is to de-escalate it, address the issues, and sort of move it away from being a dispute and much more into collaboration versus, well, I'm right, no, I'm right, no, you're wrong, and I'm right. It was a great piece of advice my dad gave me and something that I won't say it was 100% effective, but I really tried hard uh, not to react to, because you, you're you going to have pretty thick skin to be a franchisor. Okay, let's not kid ourselves, right? Um, there's a saying in Australia, it's a rugby saying, which is play the ball and not the person. And what I found was we had most success when we played the issue and not the person bringing the issue. Mm-hmm. And I often find when things go wrong, it's because people are playing the people, not the issue. But yeah, so anyway, you're the first person I've ever told. I've never, I've never read. Scott Catlett and Chris Campbell will probably be all over me now. But <laughs> I having think Scott listens. So he will. Scott Catlett is the chief legal officer of Yum. So he probably will think, oh yeah. my goodness. But it does yeah. demonstrate your strong passion and belief in relationships. And I, yeah. and I actually think that's a that's a fabulous thing. But if so, say somebody came to you and said, Greg, I want to be a franchisee and I don't really know what brand. What advice right. would you give them? Well, the obvious advice would be to be a young brand, but that would be a bit that would be a bit inside sort of. Now, I think I think if you're going to choose to be a franchisee, 
then you actually have to have pretty high expectations of the franchisor. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I would want to make sure the franchisor is great at brand building, i.e. I, the things that we were good at. Um, and I would want to understand, you know, what are the plans for the brand? You know, how is the brand perform? If it's performing well, why is it performing well? If it's not, why is it not? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing, if you think about it, really as a franchisee, you're really buying access to a brand and an operating system. That's really what you're buying. So I would want to know, is it a great brand or it may be a new brand. So it has a potential to be a great brand and does it have a really good operating system? Because hopefully if you execute the operating system and the franchisor does a great job with the brand, you should be successful. And so whilst there's many, many things you could look at, the two questions I would want to answer are, is it a great brand or are they going to turn it back into a great brand? Because sometimes, you know, brands ebb and flow. Right. And secondly, do they have a really good operating system? If I execute that operating system, will I have success? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I guess the last one is, you know, are we mutually in this from a sort of wealth creation point of view? The reason the um, UFPC and RFCS were all set up was the belief was, you know, the old days, the franchise all took money in the middle of the P&L, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, Chris Campbell and David Novak created a separate supply chain company for Yum, mm-hmm. was to demonstrate to the franchisees that we couldn't take money because we had two votes and the franchisees, I think, had six. Mm-hmm. So I think demonstrating that you both win if you both grow and you both do the right thing. You know, there's always belief, well, you're just trying to drive the top line because that's where you get your royalty, um, which is why we always owned restaurants because, you know, owning some restaurants at least demonstrated that we also wanted those restaurants to make money because we owned them. So I think it's great brand, great operating system, and a shared desire to, for wealth creation. That's great, great, great advice. And, you know, most wonderful franchisors want their franchisees to make money because they want them to reinvest and grow. Oh, totally. Yeah, if they're not making money, they're not going to do that. Well, in our last few minutes, I have to talk about your current life. And the first thing you did was, you are a marketing genius. You are clearly the genius. (laughs) Don't even try to negate that because we all know it. And now, though, you are an author. So you recently published the book, R.E.D. Marketing. And I'd like you to... Take a couple of moments and tell us about that. Sure. Well, the first thing is uh, it was co-written with Ken Mench, who Ken is the C- well, a CMO of Yum, but he also uh, you know, was the owner and founder of, of Collider along with Jeff Fox. Yes. Um, and so Collider is this amazing company that lives inside of Yum that sort of helps with you know, positioning and insights and all that sort of stuff. So if I go back again, you know, just before I became the CEO of Yum, David Novak said, hey, I want you to fly around, travel around the world and, and you know, just see how good we are from a marketing perspective. And the answer was, we're great, we're average and we're terrible. Because when you're in 140 countries, you will get great, average and terrible. And so Ken and I worked on trying to find a very simple framework, which ended up being read, relevant, ease and distinctiveness. And um, when I retired, Ken was like, you know, we should write a book about it. And... Um, I was like, well, first of all, I'd always said I, I would never write a book because I can't spell. I am the world's worst speller. <laughs> um, and then secondly, I thought, well, you know, everyone's going to think we're giving away all the, the secrets and crown jewels. But David Gibbs, who succeeded me, was incredibly supportive. The one condition I had to write the book was that all the money went to the Yum Foundation. Ah, that's awesome. So, so Ken and I don't make a penny from the book. All the money goes back to the Yum Foundation. Then the Yum Foundation uses that for scholarships and invests in team members and communities uh, and all that sort of stuff. So 
I'd never written a book. It was fun to co-write a book in COVID. And it's, it's been wonderful to sort of see the reception that the book has got. It is a wonderful book. And um, I know many people have learned a lot from you and you can teach it, but implementing it's the tough part. And you've been able to do that. And you also have a company called Creed Unco. Yeah. I have to ask you, why Unco? Now, there's a bit of humor of this because Unco in Australian slang means uncoordinated. And that's oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's the, so all my Australian friends think it's funny. Now, Unco was meant to be unconventional. Gotcha. Um, so the unconsulting, unconventional company. So it is a group of uh, former Taco Bell friends of mine, uh, men and women, and my son, by the way, and my son. Yes. Um, and we really focus on the three areas I'm most passionate about. You, one of them's not going to surprise you. Um, brand building, yes. culture, and franchising. And so what we've tried to do is we try to help brands that aren't positioned or performing well from a branding point of view. We're happy to help uh, get involved in either helping the franchise or all the franchisee help the franchise or franchisee relationship because we don't have a vested interest. We can sort of hopefully see it objectively. Right. And then the last one is um, uh, David Gibbs, uh, as, as I said, who succeeded me, gave me the opportunity to take all the culture training that either David Novak had produced or I had produced and uh, teach that. And in return, uh, give back to like charities. So we don't pay a royalty to Yum for the training. What we do is we help uh, you know, charity boards and all that just become more efficient and more effective from a culture point of view. So I love it. Branding, franchising, and culture. The three things I love is the three things I get to focus on. Yes. And you love to give back. I have seen that over and over. And I'm the lucky recipient of that with this, as well as you're coming to the University of Louisville to speak to our students. I haven't been back to Louisville for a while. So I'm absolutely looking forward to coming back. It will, it will be wonderful. We'll be ready for you. So let me ask you our one last question. I can't believe our time's up, but the one question I ask all my guests is, is there anything that you would wish you would have known before you entered the world of franchising? Boy, that is a really good question. Um, you know, there's a couple of quotes I love. One is that it's privilege is invisible to those who have it. And uh, Tracy Skeens gave me a TED talk that I don't even remember who the hell the person was that said it. And I think that what we think is normal is not everyone's normal. Mm -hmm. And so it was a great eye opener for me to do two things, which is often there are people with great capability that just don't have the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And there are some of us that have been privileged to have opportunity as well. I think for me, from a franchising perspective and just from my personal now in retirement perspective, I'm trying to spend my legacy to create opportunities for those who've got ability, but need the opportunity in order to bring their ability to life. Mm. And so I think if from a franchising perspective, if the franchisor looks at it as what I'm really creating is opportunity. Mm -hmm. And if capital and capability and commitment and culture and enthusiasm can all come and be given an opportunity, then great things will happen for both the franchisee and the franchisor. That is great. Well, Greg, you have provided us with so many insights and shared something. I'm so thrilled that no one else knew. And now we'll all be talking about it. But thank you so much for your time. <laughs> it's been my absolute pleasure. And I'm sure Scott Catlin's going to give me a call now. So I'm confident. Hey, okay, well, bye. Franchise U is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu slash yum cgfe 
thank you for listening to Franchise You.